Howdy y'all. Our exploration brings us to the Red Rocks of the Southwest and along one of the gorgeous Texas rivers for we are looking to meet the rider of the storm, a man larger than life who is said to be the first cowboy. He dug the Rio Grande, rode top the meanest cyclone of the West, and invented everything that makes cattle folk who they are, from the six-shooter to the cattle brand, and of course, the lariat, or the lasso, which he used a half-mile snake as his lariat to lasso the first bull. So, let's dive into the legend of Pesco Bill and figure out how tall tale culture of the early 1900s sprawled throughout America. And was Bill a rowdy, fun-loving cowboy who led the first cattle run? Or was he a trickster god who invented train robberies for fun and created centipedes and scorpions as a prank on his fellow cowboys? And how does Patrick Swayze, Robin Williams, and Shelley Duvall make their way into this? Let's dive into it as Pesco Bill await on this week's case of Fringe History. Gunslingers out there, you Red Rock outlaws or Texan Rangers, to the cattle folk and lovers of Americana folklore, it's time for another Fringe History. I'm your host, Basti, explorer of America and researcher of the strange sites that seem to live right in our backyards. And while living in the Southwest, I explored oh, abandoned Highway 66 outposts, spiritual vortexes on crimson mesas, and climbed along the wing of a decrepit plane in a boneyard. Oh my, the boneyards out towards Tucson are fantastic and unlike any other experience I've ever got to have. And while I was out there, I kind of noticed cowboy culture was a little bit on the decline. I mean, I saw way more cowboy hats in Wyoming and Montana than I did Arizona or New Mexico, but I never made it to Texas and that's where today's legend lives. A massive state with so many enormous cities, but in West Texas, near the border of New Mexico, the first cowboy was born. Now this is a feature of big man tall tales like Paul Bunyan and John Henry are the most famous, but there are many out there who went under the radar and never got picked up. But it's kind of crazy because I had never heard of this legend until a couple years ago and totally didn't realize that Disney and many other like children's books at the time of the 80s and the 90s tried to bring this myth back to life. So I took a peek at all the movies and cartoons featuring Pesco Bill, including ones with Patrick Swayze, Robin Williams, Shelley Duvall narrates a whole series on these guys. So we'll go over the original Pesco Bill legends all the way back from 1917. Then we'll go into the revival stories and cartoon alterations and see exactly how they get changed up. And in the fact section, we'll talk about its creator because oh my gosh, the creator of this myth is yes, another scriptwriter for Hollywood, a movie star, but he was also a reporter who traveled all the across America, a journalist who went into South America and reported on the Mexican Revolution, but not only reported on it, he fought in the revolution and fought in many wars all across the world. I mean, this guy was at the Boxer Rebellion fighting alongside the Eight Nations. Have, have we talked about the Eight Nations? The time the whole world came together? China, Russia, France, America. Everybody came together to put down the Boxer Rebellion. It's like the only time in history I could really see some of these countries ever working together. It's absolutely insane and it kind of makes sense why we all like to forget about it because Oh, what a wild time. So let's look into all of that as we talk about the creator of the first cowboy. And finally, we'll talk about visiting the city of Pescos for yourself and hiking along the Pecos River and see what the Atlas Obscura's got in the area. Hint, uh, it's freaking awesome. Every time there's great stuff, but 
oh my gosh, there are lights in the sky nearby. So let's get into it, starting with Pesco Bill's origin myth. So the story of Pesco Bill is all over the place, and there are so many different retellings as tall tale culture usually goes. You'll always find the telephone effect where the story will change over so many retellings, and especially with oral history, especially in drinking culture, people are gonna mess up the story, they're gonna come up with their own things, but I was able to hunt down the very first ever short story and collection of short stories. So the first short story comes out in 1917 and then the collection comes out in 1923. It is called The Saga of Pecos Bill. Uh, let's look into it. The first statement ever made about this guy is, quote, Pecos Bill wasn't a man of flesh and blood, but an idea, a vision, a cowboy demigod. He was born with a full set of teeth and a full head of red hair. The day before he was born, he spoke his first word saying, give me a drink. Three days after his birth, he was already chewing backer and carrying gallons of water for his family from the Pecos River, hence how he got his name. At the age of three, he had already mastered poker and around that same age, his pappy wanted to claim a stake on the Texas Panhandle. It was along this ride when they're in the wagon when Bill was bumped out of the wagon when they hit a rock and he flew all the way into the Pecos River. Well, there was 19 children in the wagon and Bill's parents did not notice him while the ruckus was going on and they only noticed he was gone when they settled down for the night. Now, his mother was worried but his dad was way confident in Bill, saying he was already three years old, he's six feet tall, he will handle whatever hand life gives him. That's a popular phrase that will come up all throughout these stories. They love to use their poker phrases. So he's floating down the river when an old coyote named Methuselah comes and saves Bill out of the river. And even though Bill was annoying the heck out of the coyote with all these questions, the granddaddy coyote brought him back to the pack and he had him nurse on one of the mothers there. Now he taught him the way of the coyotes from catching rabbits to peeing with his leg up and he eventually got the nickname No-Tail. Now while mastering his coyote ways, Bill found difficulty with a specific varmint named the Wowser. Now the Wowser is an absolutely astounding monster of the desert. It is the child of a great saber tooth of the west and the giant furred catfish of the great muddied. It is an oversized monster with the tail of a fish, a body of a lion, and teeth like a chainsaw. Its voice was thunder and it breathed fire. Now that there is what we call a chimera, and that's a popular cryptid type, especially in early American folklore. Now, Bill goes to war with this beast for a full day before he tires out the monster and he defeats the Wowser to become champion of the coyotes. And even every, oh, they're having a giant party for him. And even a young blonde coyote comes up to Bill and mentions that she's in heat to him. And just before things get super weird, a horse comes out the distance trotting and six shooters begin flying in the sky, bullets. And uh, all of the coyotes get scared away, except for Bill. The cattleman rides up and says that his name is Slim and wants to know what Bill is doing naked in the middle of the desert. Now, Bill convinces him that he is a coyote, to which Slim has to convince him he's a man. Bill says, but I got fleas and stink real bad. Slim tells him, well, yeah, all Texans got fleas and stink real bad. And so Bill eventually accepts that he's human and goes along with his horseman to find his people. Bill lives in the small town and eventually meets a young, weak colt because what is a cowboy without his horse? And he grows up this horse on baked tarantula and TNT powder. The colt eventually grows up to become his steed named Widowmaker. Uh, named after killing any man who tried to ride him except for Bill. So even when Slim tried to ride Widowmaker, the horse bucked him so high that he flew on top of Pike's Peak and Bill had to get him down with a 500 foot lasso. Now Bill at this point goes on many adventures. He's always on horseback, but when he did take a wagon, it said he'd strap a grizzly and a saber tooth to the front and use a rattlesnake for a whip. <laughs> Once in Radon Pass, a rattler half mile long was in Bill's way. 
When he asked it to move, the snake said, make me. So Bill wrestled it down and he let the snake bite him three times for free, just to be fair. Then Bill picked it up by its tail and spun it round real fast and wrapped it into a hoop. He then hooked a calf with it for practice and that's how he created lassoing cattle. Bill eventually on his adventures finds his lost family and returns to the ranch, but it isn't big enough. So he made the ranch his biggest Texas and used New Mexico as a grazing field. He dug a trench so deep that they never had to get water again because it took all the water from the Gulf of Mexico and made the Rio Grande. Now his dad had a a group of ranch hands who needed a little kick in the butt, so Bill found the largest saber-toothed tiger he could in the mountains nearby, strapped a saddle on it, and rode up to the men. The leader was a man named Hellfire Jake, ten feet tall, hands the size of children's coffins, and he used seven six-shooters. How though? <laughs> well, Bill rode up and the boys immediately offer Bill a king-sized plate of beans. And when Bill asked, who's the leader around here? Hellfire got up and said, well, I was, but you be now. Uh, he eventually leads these boys out on the first cattle run and many adventures. Along the way, he falls in love with a woman named Slewfoot Sue. And the first time he saw her, she was riding a great fur catfish two times the size of a whale bareback down the Rio Grande. She had green eyes and, uh, okay, it kind of just goes on to say a bunch of, like, old-timey grossness, so I'm going to pass all that. Uh, you get the idea. She's beautiful. Uh, they get hitched after he tells her, you're the heifer for me. And during their wedding, she wants to ride Widowmaker. He warns her not to, but Slewfoot Sue is gonna do what she's gonna do. So she hops on back a Widowmaker and he bucks her so high into the sky that she hits the moon and cracks her neck and dies. Now Bill began drinking real hard after this, and while in Virginia City, he was hunting a powerful concoction. When nothing worked, n none of even the poisons worked on satisfying Bill's appetite, a miner offered him nitroglycerin, and Bill fell in love with it. Now, that's a popular explosive, of course. And, well, some say he went into the alley to vomit, and when he did that, all they heard was an explosion from outside, and they never saw Bill ever again. But some people can't believe that, and they say he went on bar hopping for the rest of his life and eventually died when he met an eastern dude with golden painted boots, ten feet high Stetsons, and chaps the size of a sail for a boat. When Bill saw this man spill drink over his expensive clothing, Bill laughed himself to death. Now, that's the end of the first story. Now, there are three featured sto short stories in this, the second one being The Taming of Pecos Bill's Gal Sue. Now, it's the same origin story, but this time he actually goes missing after a swarm of ferocious, bloodthirsty, giant mosquitoes flew past his family's wagon. Bill hid under a rock with a giant rattlesnake and protected them both by smashing a couple of the monster bugs. When the coyote found him, he was cuddled under the rock with his rattler buddy, and he lived with the rattler around his arm for the rest of his days. Now, in this retelling of the story, Slim has now changed his name to Snaggletooth Charlie, a better name, definitively. Uh, he took him to his gang of cattle ranchers, and this is where Bill learned how to be a cowboy and improved on their ways. Like, before they used to catch cows by laying a rope on the ground, and then when the cow would step on it, they'd pull its foot. But but he just said, well, why don't you just throw the rope above your head and hit the cow with it? So he invented lassoing. He made the first roundup. He had the first rodeo with all the boys. He eventually falls in love with Sue. She rides Widowmaker and you, oh, wait a second. The story changes a little. She's wearing a steel spring dress and when she flies up, she just comes back down only to bounce higher into the sky. Now, Bill doesn't save her because she didn't listen. Once she becomes stuck on the moon, he lassos her down by lassoing the whole moon down, and then he throws the moon back into the sky, lives happily ever after with Sue, and when he says, will you listen to me now? She says sarcastically, maybe I will. <laughs> uh, the third story is again called Saga of, of Pecos Bill, and it's a clear continuation, like it kind of goes over the origin story a lot quicker, and this one's definitively more grittier and violent. Like it starts with saying stuff like, Bill invented most things connected with the cow business. He was the king killer of bad men. 
Uh, like I said, same origin, but when Slim comes and brings him back to humanity, Bill sees the gritty side of people and enjoys bringing out the worst in them. He became a famous bad man who invented train robbing and most of the popular crimes of the West, besides cow tipping, quote unquote. That was discovered by King David of the Bible, but Bill did it better. Now, another quote that was absolutely insane to me, this is when the story definitely gets out there. He says, no telling how many men Bill Dunn killed. He shot down every bad man of West Texas and massacred all the Indians and ate all the buffalo. Uh, yeah, they, they don't say stuff like that again, but that's crazy that in 1917, that's just like a, a throwaway detail. It makes sense no other retelling talks about it like that. Now Bill finds the snake like always and has it on his arm. He beats the saber-toothed tiger and he saddles it to ride it to the gang. Bill becomes leader and makes the men into cattlemen. He staked out all of New Mexico and used half of Arizona for a pasture for this new cattle. Then, the meanest cyclone in the west rolled along the Kansas line. It was coming right for his cattle, so he had to protect it. Bill eared alongside the tornado and climbed along its back. He rode it for three states, ripping up forests and creating valleys. It eventually stopped in Arizona, dying down after Bill squeezed all the rain out of it, and it casted him back to earth on a bolt of lightning that landed in California. The strike zone is now called Death Valley. Bill then goes on a few more adventures, helping the Kiwa natives even on a hunting trip. Then they say he killed all the... Yeah, no, that's tall tale culture for you. Now, of course, he meets Sue. They marry. She tries to ride Widowmaker. But what happens this time? She flies up into the air, comes down, bounces into the sky. But this time she just bounces for a while. Bill can't help her. So for four days and three nights, she just bounces and eventually starves to death. Bill, extremely saddened by this, goes to drinking, he keeps needing stronger stuff, and he's drinking Wolf's Bane with barbed wire in it, and one day he just keels over after years of this. And it's not because of the poison he was drinking, but because of the rusted barbed wire that he collected in his gut. But others say Bill met a man from Boston who wore a mail-order cowboy suit and asked fool's questions, so Bill laughed himself to death. <laughs> and it was kind of crazy, in the back side of these collection of the tales, I found another thing called Buffalo Bill's Wild West. And this is like an insane 1873 stage show, so it's the full script that was written by William Friedrich Cody, yeah, Buffalo Bill, and his famous show that he performed for decades all across America. It's got different segments from people literally just racing to theatrical retailings of old western tales, shooting competitions with the likes of Annie Oakley and traditional Native American dances, Lots of the cowboys featured uh, hated the showman element of it all, but Bill pushed it for the money of it all. And Buffalo Bill is not Pecos Bill. Uh, some people had this confusion. No, definitely different. Buffalo Bill's a real guy who lives from 1846 to 1917. After serving in a couple wars, he becomes a famous traveling showman. Uh, and it was just kind of cool to read his different scripts, especially with Annie Oakley in there. I'm a distant uh, relative of Annie Oakley. She's like my great-great-aunt along the line, so... Yeah, well, what's up, cowboy shooters? The one thing I hated about the script, too, they have Annie Oakley come out to do a few tricks, and then they have another gunslinger come out, and he gets to do about triple the tricks she gets to do. So, yeah, very frustrating, but hey, what are you going to do? And that is the origins of Pecos Bill. But let's look at some of the modern retellings real quick. As Disney has done a retelling on it, uh, PBS has done stuff on it, Shelley Duvall had a show on it, so let's look at a couple of those. The first one we'll look at is Tall Tale, The Unbelievable Adventures of Pecos Bill from 1995, produced by Disney, featuring Patrick Swayze as Pecos Bill, as Nick Stahl from the movie Bully, uh, <laughs> crazy, and William H. Macy appears as like a big wig Pinkerton. Uh, absolutely insane live action movie, just kind of based around the premise of there's a family living on a frontier, a boy named Daniel Hackett wants to go on adventures and explore, but his dad needs him to help on the farm. He just wishes he sold the farm already. So the dad takes the boy out fishing and they learn American values, like respect the land, defend the defenseless, and don't ever spit in front of women or children. 
then he spits in front of his son. Oh, it's a, it's a good moment. Uh, this big city man tries to buy out all of the land. The boy goes on the run. The boy ends up falling asleep in a boat while drifting down a river. And when he wakes up, he's surrounded by like two crazies who are gonna shoot him down for no reason. They're just like straight up outlaws. And all of a sudden, Pecos Bill comes on his black stallion Widowmaker and saves the boy. And Pesco Bill and the boy go on a bunch of adventures. They meet Paul Bunyan. They fight lumberjacks. They find John Henry racing the steam engine. Uh, the boy even helps John Henry, but John Henry still loses because that's the whole tale. They meet Calamity Jane of all people. They end up in prison only to be freed by Babe the Ox who pulls the whole prison out of town. Uh, absolutely insane movie and ends with the typical the boy wakes up and it was all a legend or was it uh in the big final sequence he stops a train from coming into town the train crumbles william h macy's all disappointed uh nick stahl's the big hero absolutely incredible movie for what it was and i feel like a lot of people had saw this in 1995 i don't know how i missed it and i might have even seen it and just totally forgot about it because it is an old-timey period piece from Disney, but I mean, it's extremely well-produced. I mean, Patrick Swayze literally ends the movie by riding a giant tornado off into the sky while shouting how he's the, the biggest man in the West and the rider of the storm and the cult of the cults. And like, holy moly, uh, absolutely insane. Now, a neat one too is 1985 Shelley Duvall's Tall Tales and Legends. Um, what, what? What is this? What the heck did I find? It's like 10 episodes long. It's a whole season. It's only one season long. Gosh, I wish there's more. They have episodes from Johnny Appleseed to John Henry to the first baseball player to Pecos Bill, of course. But be careful if you're on Amazon Prime. That's how I found it. And the episodes are jumbled. Like you'll kick, you'll click Pesco Bill and it's the John Henry episode. You'll click the John Henry episode and it's the Johnny Appleseed. You'll click Johnny Appleseed and this is... <laughs> So to save you some time, the Pecos Bill episode is the baseball episode. <laughs> and it just goes over the basic tale, kind of like I told you, but it simplifies a lot of stuff. And it obviously does not have Slewfoot Sue dying. It has fantastic outfits, so colorful. Uh, these 1985 cowboys are legit insane. They are strange fashion warriors, innovating style and manners. Um, this retailing really just goes hard on... Pecos Bill being a rapscallion and him being a pushback on prude culture and polite culture and stuff like that. I mean, people are being too prudish and he taught them how to have fun again. That's really the big story here. Uh, the, the governor even outlaws him after he caused a big ruckus in the bar one night. Uh, of course, in this story, Bill falls in love with Slewfoot Sue, who is actually just the governor's daughter on the run. She even rides the catfish. Yo, they have the catfish prop. It is insane. I, I will post this one to Insta because holy moly, the catfish was super cool to see live action. And uh, in this one, they even say Bill is responsible for the first ever wanted poster after the governor wants to to find him for kidnapping his daughter. Now eventually they come back, Sue admits that she wasn't kidnapped, she helps the governor see that Bill's trying to help, the town is becoming desolate because nobody wants to live in this prudish, no-life town, and eventually Bill brings a giant storm by riding the cyclone all the way through the southwest and brings it to Texas and squeezes all the water out of it, which brings life back to the town, everybody has a great time, they have a rodeo, uh, the prudish sisters who don't like all of this rowdy cowboy culture stuff say, we're gonna move to San Francisco. <laughs> like, let's go California. Uh, and yeah, Texas is fun again because of Pecos Bill. Uh, I highly recommend this one. This might be honestly my favorite depiction. Uh, the next one's pretty good, but for a live action depiction, this one was totally a lot of fun. And like I said, she has other episodes too. It has Shelley Duvall talking about Ponce de Leon, Darling Clementine, Sleepy Hollow, uh, Annie Oakley gets her own episode. So definitely go check it out. And lastly, let me talk about the Robin Williams one. Now this one is creepy. It is by Rabbit Ears Entertainment and the animation style is just wonky as heck. It's kind of cute, but the Rabbit Ears intro is just creepy. And it's essentially just a cartoon drawn along Robin Williams 
doing a narration of the whole story like I've told it. Now, they tell their own telling of it, and of course it's child-oriented, but Robin William does hilarious voices. Of course he would, but he does these wild cowboy voices that I just can't even imitate. Uh, of course, it tells the story of of him right of him saddling up a cougar. Now the cougar here is two tons and the size of three horses, absolutely big. And while he rides the cougar, the cougar's constantly saying like, "Well, now wait, now well, who's are you? Well, wait, now give me a second. What in the world?" <laughs> Uh, he faces off against the gang. Now, instead of Hellfire Jake, the leader is a guy named Sourdough. <laughs> Bill asks the gang what they do, and they say nothing much. We eat beans, hang around the fire, and ride around a bit. So he suggests that they take their cattle herd to Kansas in the first ever cattle drive. Now, the cougar makes everybody nervous on the cattle drive, so he eventually ditches it, and he finds Widowmaker. And Widowmaker is this small, small, weak colt who's being bit by rattlers, and coyotes are scaring him. So he comes and saves Widowmaker and feeds him, and Widowmaker gets big and strong. Uh, Sourdough gets stuck on a mountain with his large steer, and Bill makes the first lariat and lassos them off of the mountain, you know, kind of like he did with uh, Slim in the original story. Now, he meets Sue while on the drive, fell in love by the Rio Grande, and they promised to meet in Kansas after the drive was done so they could marry. Uh, they almost finished the drive. They have a hoedown to celebrate, but the largest cyclone in America blocked out the sun, so Bill tried to slow it down with his lariat. Now, the force is too powerful for a Widowmaker, so Bill jumps off his steed and tried to tame the Twister itself. He rode it through the mountains, smashed red rock mesas, pulled so hard he made the cyclone cry. Its tears made the Great Lake and all the people there thank God, but they didn't know it was Bill who actually made the Great Lake. Uh, that's Robin Williams saying it, not me. Uh, he rode it through Louisiana and spit prawns into people's plates. He devastated a desert, leaving nothing, and now they call it Death Valley. He literally rode the twister all the way to heaven and smashed through its gate. And while Bill smashes through the gates of heaven on this twister, they just go and finish the cattle drive without Bill and they go on to tell his legend. But you can still visit Bill today. For on the plains of West Texas, if you listen closely to the wind, you could hear the coyote hollers from the heavens as he rides Widowmaker across the clouds and uses the moon as a tambourine while he sings songs to his sweet slewfoot Sue. Now that was just crazy. And, and lastly, there is another one. Disney made an animation about it and they take a lot of leeway with the story. I wasn't able to watch the full one, but they have a lot of songs and this is actually where the famous Roy Rogers songs comes from. Uh, this Disney animation is the one who commissioned him to do the song that depicts Pecos Bill. And it's super cute, it has a lot of different of the legends, at least has the stuff like him spreading gold across California mountains after beating up bank robbers and knocking out all their golden teeth. It, it is cute, but it does have a very sus depiction of Native Americans. Uh, when discussing the Painted Desert's origins. I don't even want to talk about it. Just know it's bad. Disney used to be sus, you know. Uh, one crazy quote from it was they say, with his guns, he made the stars disintegrate for target practice. So he left one in the sky, hence the Lone Star State. And it ends with a story of Sue bouncing to the moon and getting stuck up there. So Bill goes up there and joins her. Uh, it's interesting to see actually too, that in a recent 2021 remake of the Roy Rogers song, the music video, they actually put back the cigarette. So in 2001, they took the cigarette out of the mouth because they were like, okay, this is a kid's cartoon. But in 2021, they re-added the cigarette into the cowboy's mouth. Uh, I don't know, just kind of a wild Disney choice, but uh, yeah. And that kind of ends off all of the stories of Pecos Bill, an absolutely insane story, but to better understand who could come up with this origin tale that has been twisted and morphed into so many different ways to where you don't even for sure know which way he died, let's talk about the originator of this story and see how he could come up with a tale like this in the facts section. So, if that's the legends of Pesco Bill, just what kind of mind would have created a being like that? And oh boy, this wild Texas slash Chicago man has a wild story that has sparked 
two popular biographies about this mercenary, the reporter, the movie star, a man named Tex O'Reilly. So let's look at his history real quick. He lived from 1880 to 1946. He's known as an American journalist, writer, and film actor. And he fought in 10 wars under different flags. This is famously where he gets the phrase, the man of 10 flags. In the Spanish-American War, the US-Philippines War, on the US side for the Boxer Rebellion. And he claims to have fought Pancho Villa in Mexico, worked for the Spanish Foreign Legion in the Rift War of North Africa and was in several conflicts in Central America. So where does he start? This man was born in Denton, Texas to a working family. His pa's working in a construction. They moved to San Saba where he fell in love with rowdy cowboy culture. And he even saw a huge shootout between warring gangs where seven men were killed in one minute. So this kind of influenced who Texas is gonna become. Now, his family moves to Chicago after they deem Texas way too violent. Now, he gets bored here and he joins the military at 17 after the USS Maine has sunk. He's deployed in Cuba during the Spanish-American War, which, yes, is an American war we fought on Mexico, which we totally provoked no matter what people say. Yes, we stood along a river for months waiting for them to do something, and then one night soldiers got drunk, they started a fight, and then we made a whole war because of that. Absolutely insane. We didn't even want the land. We took over Mexico for a little while, and then we gave it back because we're like, we don't want this. Oh, American history is maddening. Uh, now, Texas' first battle, was the Battle of El Cani, an American defeat where Tex describes eating slimy rations and fighting over canteens mid-battle with his allies. He almost got killed by a Spaniard who jumped into his trench, but was saved by a black American soldier who he never even got to know his name. Now he comes back to America after Spain surrenders two months later. And when he comes home, he hates the disorganization in America's military. But he didn't see much else he could do, so he ships off on another war to the Philippines. Now, he's in the War of the Philippines, and he saw brutal battles before joining a special unit called Lowe's Scouts. Now, Lowe's Scouts were an intelligence reconnaissance unit, a proto-special forces unit made up of all sorts of legendary gunslingers, big game hunters, Indian war scouts, and mercenaries from across the world. While in this group, his notable feat was, while on a bridge, Tex saw a bundle of dynamite that was lit. He had no time to think, so he jumps on top of it and bites onto the fuse because it was too short to grab. He bites on with his golden tooth and digs it into the hole where the powder is. And the dynamite doesn't go off. He saves everybody and he burns his mouth entirely, but he says any cowboy with a metal mouth like him would do the same. Now, after this, his unit was rerouted to China as the Boxer Rebellion is breaking out and China forms the Eight-Nation Alliance that ultimately allows other countries access to her ports in a thing called the Sphere of Influence. The Eight-Nation Alliance is compiled of Britain, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, Russia, United States, Hungary, and China all working together. When this is <coughs> this is the one and only time that will ever happen. And of course, it's all of these countries being brought together to put down poor people, to to put down a rebellion. This rebellion's insane. It just goes to show people really have the power, especially back then. Holy crap, you distreat so many people. You had to bring almost the whole world in to stop them. It's just an absolutely insane thing, and I do think the Boxer Rebellion should get a lot more attention in general, and I would love to discuss it. They have crazy things like people there called the Red Lanterns, who are young Chinese women who believe they had mystic abilities to block bullets in the sun. Like, absolutely insane. Or the Harmonious Fists are a crazy group. Um, absolutely cool thing to get into, but we'll kind of skip over that for now. And Tex is there. He's trying to put down the rebellion and he was actually shot when entering a zone he thought the Russians were patrolling, but they weren't and he was sprayed down by Chinese gunmen. His injuries got worse and he was taken off the front line and eventually sent back to San Francisco. Now, he went back to Japan eventually to study and teach English and eventually heads to Korea after getting bored of Japan and he joins a mercenary group that became the bodyguards for the Korean emperor. During this time, he dealt with many tensions from the recent Japanese-Korean War. Now, eventually, Korea sends off a group of 60 strong mercenaries 
but the leader, Bill Young, doesn't take this, thinking that the Japanese affairs are to be caused for this. They hold up in a Korean hotel for two weeks because they don't want to be sent off of the country. The police come, the military eventually comes and tells them that they have to leave, and the mercenaries essentially just say, make us. So the government officials threat that they're going to bring in the Japanese marines to stop the mercenaries. The mercenaries stay strong, and eventually the Koreans just pay the mercenaries to leave the country. And they do, and they head to China. Now, this is where Tex became a Shanghai Municipal Police and served for almost a year seeing a brutal civil war, uh, like the tax-based Penny War. After that, he was offered to train a unit to become bodyguards to an important Chinese official. He did with success, meeting tactical war leaders and learning a ton in China, but after 1902, he hoped his unit would increase to a regiment and keep growing, but his dreams were dashed and he returns to America after realizing he has no future in China. He spends time drifting and is drifting as a server in different restaurants. This is a lifestyle I understand that is essentially seasonal restaurant working, which I've done for the past few years. Uh, you literally could just go from state to state every winter and summer and find a new job at a new seasonal spot, especially servers and cooks. So I get what he's doing right now. Uh, and eventually he train hops all the way going back to back home to Chicago. Now here he begins his journalist career for the Chicago Tribune. In 1904, St. Louis World Fair, he meets up with an old loose scout buddy who's joining a mercenary group in Louisiana. He joins up with them and becomes their machine gunner. After a harrowing experience in Venezuela, barely surviving, Tex comes home again and goes home to San Antonio to become a journalist. He became a popular war reporter covering border conflicts and the Mexican Revolution in 1910. He stays in Mexico fighting battles and barely surviving until late 1913 after having a standoff with Pancho Villa. He comes home after a whole score of events in 1910, becoming a private military operator to protect mining shipments. Along that time, he begins writing articles and magazines again, and here is when he creates the world's first cowboy in 1917. <laughs> a little late for the Cowboys. Eventually he joins World War One and fights until 1919 when he returns to America as a popular writer and is welcomed into the film business to write and even acted his own script. So the 1920s is just opening up and he is set up perfect. Here he meets a young Elaine Ray and begins to feature her as she then becomes one of greatest heroines in all of silent film history. Here many begin to doubt a lot of the different telltales that Tex is telling of being a mercenary in so many different places. Specifically, in 1924 he tells tales of serving the Spanish Foreign Legion in China, aiding in prison breaks for Mexican and French prisoners. Many doubt this tale as there are no accounts of him actually serving in any Legion paperwork, and there are many that doubt his combat time in the Boxer Rebellion, and blame him for being part of the widespread looting, to which in his biographies he does apologize and condemn a lot of the looting that happened in the Boxer Rebellion. I mean, it was bad. But he goes on to write, I Am The Woman in 1921, and writes and acts in three different films, them being Honeymoon Ranch of 1920, West of the Rio Grande in 1921, and On the High Card in 1921. These are all like adventure romances, essentially. And around this time, he becomes a reporter for the Associated Press. And when he does, he makes the famous 2,200 mile trip from San Antonio to Washington DC to deliver a message to President Taft. Now, the, now you come to modern days, that doesn't mean anything, but you go a hundred years back from right now when this guy did this, that is an astounding feat. I mean, I've driven across America and it is not an easy thing to do. It's very stressful, it's very hard, there's a lot of different people and you have to be able to mask certain elements about yourself, especially if you're not conventional. So for this guy to be able to travel that 2200 miles all the way to DC just to deliver a message, Yo, we could just do a phone call nowadays. We could just send a, a TikTok over that. <laughs> like, that's insane. And he's a big part of bringing rowdy Texas pushback culture uh, to push back against the polite culture that was springing up all 
throughout the South at the time. And that's kind of the story of Tex O'Reilly. He goes on to just pass away silently in San Francisco with his lavish and his fame, and he, he does amazingly. A lot of people are doubting his stories, but I mean, that's to be expected of a guy who famously calls himself the mercenary of 10 flags. And it's just cool to see him invent this legend of the cowboy and you can see after all of his international travels and all of his and all of his absolutely insane war stories that he's able to come up with Pesco Bill and it kind of makes sense to me that Pesco Bill becomes super violent or in the last parts of his stories um, it makes or text starts to be like all right well let's see how crazy we could get with this let's see how how crazy gunman this guy could get and i think like stuff like that gang war he saw when he was younger really influenced a lot of that cowboy sharpshooter stuff that he fell in love with um and it's cool to think of of pecos bill as the inventor of so many awesome things i mean i love folklore particularly to add context to different places especially different hikes knowing the folklore of those hikes makes the hikes so much more enjoyable but even small objects like the lariat or the lasso the cattle brand the six shooter train robbing rodeos centipedes and scorpions roundups and Peco bill also taught the bronco how to buck so if you think of any of those or you see any of those just remember Pecos bill was the first one to ever do it and if you ever hear the rio grande just know that he dug it up during one dry year so he didn't have to keep pitching water from the west coast <laughs> also fun note that's what it that's one of the funniest things for me too, that the Disney movie specifically says that he does not go and steal a bunch of water from the Gulf of Mexico because that's the wrong thing to do. So he just makes a big river instead. But yeah, of course, back in 1917, Tex O'Reilly was like, yeah, we steal all the water and we shoot down all the Indians. Like, oh, oh my gosh, chill guy. <laughs> so that's the facts of the story. Let's get to my favorite part. Let's talk about the travel of it all. Let's go over to Pecos, Texas and hang out, find their national parks and see the landscape of the first cowboy. So you want to travel to Pecos, Bill? Well, you're going to want to go to Pecos, Texas. That's definitely your best bet. Now, Pecos, Texas is about two hours and 20 minutes from Big Ben National Park. Oh, absolutely phenomenal. I have wanted to go to this national park for so long. The pictures are gorgeous. I will post them on Instagram. And, uh... Yeah, Big Bend has just been on my list for so long. I looked up, there are three different ghost towns in Bend that you, uh, Big Bend, that you could go visit. There's even an abandoned silver mine hidden deep within the park that you could go visit. All of those are in the Atlas Obscura. I'll talk about those in a little bit, but Big Bend National Park, if you're in the area, you gotta go check it out. Now, now it, this is West Texas, near the New Mexico border, like I said, near kind of the corner of it. Pecos is between Odessa and El Paso on Highway 20. It's an intersection city. It has an airport. That kind of tells me a lot about it. Like, a lot of small town, a lot of small towns, small cities have airports and that kind of at least tells me you have a lot of the necessities if you have an airport you also have a mcdonald's you also have a walmart you also have hotels you also have probably local things to do uh you probably have a little nightlife scene um an airport indicates a good amount of that to me so they have an airport they're looking good like i said i saw a lot of parks and a lot of restaurants on their map it's near the pecos river and near mosquito lake seems like Mosquito Lake is a popular place to go do water sports, even though that name sounds horrible, especially about Pecos Bill's origin with the giant, ferocious, bloodthirsty mosquitoes. Uh, nah, I'm going to pass on Mosquito Lake, maybe. Uh, but the Pecos River is right nearby. I know river rafting is super popular out there. I love river rafting, especially in Montana. Oh, some of the best stuff. Uh, I looked up and apparently Mount Livermore nearby has a lot of awesome hikes to go check out. Mount Livermore looked like an awesome nature spot in general. Looks like it was generally wooded up there too. It's kind of how it is in the desert. When you find mountains, you'll start to find trees again. You'll see a lot of the desert is usually just shrubland. People imagine kind of salt flats or like barren rolling sand dunes. 
That's not true for most deserts. Most deserts are shrublands. Now, I mentioned it before, but the Atlas Obscura has some awesome places nearby. First one being the Wink Sinkhole in Wink, Texas. Now, that is two massive sinkholes in the middle of the ground. Uh, <laughs> the visitability is a little shaky, so definitely look into how to get there. It seemed like it might be a little hard, but the Wink Sink seemed insane. Sinkholes in the desert are just trippy as hell to me. The Balmorhia State Pool Park is nearby. This is a spring-fed pool so deep that folk use it for scuba diving. This looked like an absolutely gorgeous park. I'm going to post photos of this one too. I would highly recommend going to the state park if you're in the area. Uh, Pasiano Pete is in the area. That's an 11 foot tall roadrunner statue. The second largest in the world. Uh, now, the second largest? Who's got the first one? Oh my gosh, who's making these giant roadrunner statues? Um, I kind of love all of that stuff. Uh, one thing of note, Saints Row, the re the reboot in 2022. Saints Row, an awesome game. It had Joe Magarak, a folk hero I've also talked about in it, in Steelport. Now, this newest one was set in the desert and absolutely loved the map. The story was wonky, but the map was gorgeous. And they have so many giant statues of things. It is awesome. It is so true of the West too. Especially the different metal statues out in the desert. There are so many, so I love giant statues, 11 foot tall roadrunner statues in the middle of the desert. It is so quintessential Southwest culture. And nearby, you gotta check out the Prada Marfa. Now this is the legendary Prada store in the middle of the desert. I've heard this rumored before and it is an Atlas Obscura's book as well because it is a featured spot. It is so random. It is just a Prada store in the middle of nowhere. And I know it's open every once in a while and I could only imagine if you got into the Prada Marfa store. Oh, what weird legends you could tell. And of course, Marfa, that's the area we're talking about. That might be familiar to some of you guys because one famous UFO sighting is the Marfa Light site. Now, the Marfa Light is from the early 1900s and is one of the popular lights in the sky story. Kind of like I mentioned with the California Airship, there was a lot of lights in the sky at the time. And this is one of the biggest ones in Texas. And I might cover it in one of the side projects I'm working on right now. I'll talk more about that in the outro. But the Marfa Lights site is right nearby. I'd highly recommend checking out any UFO site. I was in Kecksburg not too long ago just because I was driving past. So it's like, well, you gotta go check out the Kecksburg UFO now. <laughs> And the town of Marfa as a whole has eight different atlas locations, from fringe museums and food spots to decrepit stardust motel signs and modern art installations. So like I say with the Atlas Obscura, there's kind of something for everyone in there, and you guys gotta just kind of decide what's important to you and what do you find wondrous in the world, because some people might find Passiano Pete, the 11 foot tall roadrunner, completely useless. And I get it, if that's not your thing, that's not your thing, but Oh, I love it. Oh, I love big bugs so much. Big statues of anything I'm going to fall in love with. That's why in, in uh, the capital region, we have Skipper, the big freaking dog that just sits on top of a warehouse. I look out at Skipper all the time. Oh my gosh, fantastic. And uh, just to note, other places in the legend of Pecos Bill, he's also, he dug out the Rio Grande, he created Death Valley, he was in Kansas for the first cattle drive, he made the Salt Lake, he was in Denver, Colorado on the cattle drive. So if you live in any of those places, just kind of look out for the aftermath of Pesco Bill and the legendary sagas from forming whole deserts to putting gold in the mountains. His adventures still remain everywhere. And mostly, enjoy the wonders of Texas and go find some strange lights in the sky. Or if you see a dust devil ripping across the desert, make sure to give it an extra look. Because what, what is that? Do you see that right on top? Is that like a saddle? Is that a guy riding on top of the dust devil? <laughs> well, let's get a wrap up going. Well, hey there. Now, that was a fun legend to dive into. I always love exploring American folk heroes, and we'll definitely be diving into more in the future. Sadly, many others have very regional histories that have been dug down in their local libraries, but 
I know more than a few that belong to New England, from a legendary pirate who rode the storm's winds, to a revolutionary era figure who aided along the Underground Railroad. So let's see what folk hero will come out next, and if you guys have any requests, definitely send them my way. Especially if you know of any really small time ones, like Johnny Inkslinger or something like, ah, I love all of that stuff. Send it my way and we'll talk about it, especially in a new side project I'm working on right now. Um, like I've mentioned, I'm moving back to the bi-weekly posting. I think I do enjoy this. It gives me a whole week to research and then a whole another week to record and edit and do everything I need to do. So it's really good, but I do want to give you an episode every week. So I'm working very diligently on a side project where I might be dropping small little Tales from the Fringes. A little bit less intensive on the research, so I'm able to pump them out, and they might be shorter because I do enjoy doing these longer episodes. A shorter, compact tale is what I'm going to give you. Not a lot of the travel, not a lot of the facts. I just want to bring these tales to you guys and familiarize you guys with some of the weird stuff out there. If I took this long on every cryptid there is in the Lumberwoods, firstly, I don't know if they have that much content. That's the other problem with some of these urban legends or places. They don't always have origin stories that I can confirm and go back to. That's why I like these tales that I've been telling. But I want to tell some of these smaller ones. So look out in the future for something called Tales of the Fringes. M maybe. We'll, we'll see what I'm able to land on. But I'll be excited to bring that you to you guys so I can give you guys more weekly content while being able to make these big episodes for you guys with all these things and I could have time to watch these movies and read these biographies. Uh, absolutely insane. And I would highly recommend you to check out all the movies I had mentioned today and to check out the different biographies on Tex O'Reilly especially Man of Ten Flags. Uh, I will also post the saga of Pesco Bill on my Instagram as it was rather hard to find and the PDF I got is like super just somebody just put some local book into a scanner. It's so hard to find. I, I wouldn't expect anybody else to be able to randomly stumble upon it. I got really lucky, so I'm gonna post it and you guys will be able to see all of the original sources and these firsthand stories for yourself. And stick around, as next episode, I think we'll be looking to the sky for more potential UAPs and what all that term really encompasses, because it's not just UFOs anymore. It could really be anything from a bat squatch to a giant airship to a guy riding on top of a cyclone. That's technically a strange aerial phenomenon. <laughs> But this next one is a truly wild, cryptid tale, alien tale maybe even, that has many diverging opinions on just what exactly happened on a rainy night in Iowa. It was bulletproof, flying across the night sky, and potentially has a laser beam on its forehead. <laughs> You'll have to stick around for more stories across America that you can visit on the next Fringe History. History is researched, written, and produced by me, Basti B. Fringe History is an independent podcast relying and welcome to any sightings, encounters, or funding to help expand our community. Submit any stories to fringehistorypod at gmail.com or on Instagram at fringehistorypod. Make sure to follow the social media for episode drops and daily content, like daily cryptids. I got MetaZoo cards on there, depictions of different spirits, aliens, and of course, tons of cryptids on there uh and all the pictures you want to see from the case you heard today and all the other cases it could be a good spot to find your next episode and if you want to help support this podcast for absolutely free please go leave a review anywhere you heard this spotify apple Podcasts, amazon music anywhere you listen to your podcast thank you a ton and as always stay weird out there keep adventuring folks